I think it's time to honor one another by uh, decorating our body and draping ourselves with um, fine fabrics. remember how like in summer 2019 I was really into smoothies <laughs> wait what <laughs> you guys that, that was something I talked about a lot in the the podcast during the summer of 2019 okay. I talked about smoothies all the time it's so funny that you mentioned smoothies because I'm ready to start smoothies like I Jane and I had a talk about smoothies last night and we started sort of like planning the ingredients we needed and, and like saying like, it's time for the full switch. And then I didn't get it around to this morning and I was going to have one for lunch, but then we had like leftover pasta from last night. So I just went with that instead. So I haven't actually had my first smoothie of the season yet, but I'm, I've been preparing. You know, what's an incredible smoothie base. Yeah. If you didn't know is, is frozen cauliflower. That's so gnarly. It doesn't taste like anything. It's just filler, fibrous. Filler. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's fibrous filler that's frozen. So it's like you got you get some like cold iciness, mm -hmm. and it's like having a little bit of a salad in your smoothie. Uh -huh. But if you use like a fruit forward smoothie matrix, which yeah. I I do, you know, I use like cherries. I'm not. We're not like going with bananas here. Bananas are like a base fruit. They they provide nothing. They're like a foundational fruit. Yeah, I think a banana, banana and ice probably achieves the same like filler consistency as a bunch of frozen cauliflower. But then you get a vegetable instead of a fruit, and that's really important to me. The bananas have to be frozen. Use frozen bananas so that you don't have to put, no one wants ice in the smoothie. That's just no. water. But that's why you use cauliflower because the thing is like, you should be eating fruit in the afternoon. Fruit is not something you should be having before 2 p.m. You have to sit on your couch. Ideally you recline and you, you feed the fruit to yourself like you are a Greek emperor. Or you have your significant other do it for you. Right, like the grapes. Yeah. You don't really see that anymore. No. <laughs> <Some of the laughs> grapes. Grape uh, bunch, a bunch of grapes. Yeah, I mean. You know what hits though is frozen grapes. Absolutely. Also a great asset if you're doing a homemade haunted house. A bowl of peeled grapes and you just, and you, you label the, the bowl of, peeled grapes as eyeballs. How do you and, peel the grape? I don't know, but I can just tell you when I was really young, my mom hosted this amazing party where she had like me and a couple of my friends go to a pumpkin patch. And while we were at this pumpkin patch, she and all the other moms drank wine and made a haunted house in our garage. Wow. And then they picked us up from from the pumpkin patch and led us through this crazy haunted house. And one of the things was like peeled grapes. And she, she was like wearing, she was actually wearing this really cool big t-shirt with a skeleton on it that made me think of yesterday. I thought of this because of the Ralph Simmons show with the little arm garters that are skeleton hands. Yeah. 
And so my mom was, you know, foreshadowing Ralph Simmons back in 1996. Right. One of Ralph's oversized huge. Yeah. I mean, Ralph historically um, has always looked to suburban Delaware for kind of like ideas about silhouette and accessorizing. Well, Sam McInnes is three minutes late. Um, oh, he's on time. I mean, he's he here. was right there. I hope he didn't hear me say that. Hi, can you hear me? <laughs> hey, Sam. Oh, hi. Yeah, I can hear all of you guys. Sorry, I'm late. I had to, um, I had to update Zoom because <laughs> I haven't. I don't think I've used it in months. Anyway, it's nice to see you, um, Sam. Thanks for joining us today. Um, very happy to have you on to discuss the situation in the Suez Canal and hoping and offer some thoughts on how we can get this boat unstuck. Um, corporate lunch. This is episode 126 of Corporate Lunch, and every week we sort of take on one of the big issues and try to come up with some real solutions. Um, so today it's the tanker ship stuck in the or the cargo ship stuck in the Suez Canal, and you're our expert. Yeah, guys, I'm thrilled. I'm <laughs> I'm thrilled about that. Uh, the ever the ever given at the Suez Canal is. Um, that's the best story. It's just the best. I I kind of read about it or linger with it a little bit. I don't read that deep into it because they're going to talk about stuff that I don't really care about or understand. But just in terms of uh, there being a boat that's just like fucking up the world because it got stuck in a ditch in Egypt is the best. And I wish that travel bans and restrictions and the CDC would just let me get on a plane or a boat. I would go to eat. I would love to see this. I would love to go there and just hang out with like the engineers who are just kind of standing around probably just like pointing at this boat that is um, that probably like a drunk man probably just like got stuck into a ditch. <laughs> I I was texting with my friend Joanna last night about um, this and we don't have anything to say about it. We're just kind of like smiling about it or like laughing a little bit. I don't know. It's, I'm thrilled about it. It's so cool to be reminded that one idiot can still like fuck up like all of global shipping and commerce um, just by like turning the wrong direction in the Suez Canal. Yeah. I don't know. What, what are you supposed to do in the Suez Canal? I just like kind of go <laughs> in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, kind of a straight, single file yeah. kind of situation. Yeah, so that we can like all have our little products, you know? <laughs> and <Yeah>. then, <laughs> but not today, not this week, probably for like, a not, like another three months or whatever. Like they're going to have to drain this fucking canal, I imagine. <laughs> they have to drain the ocean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, one of the wonderful things about it is really that no one knows what to do. And so it's mm-hmm. like, it's a stuck boat, which seems like sort of an easy fix, but it's just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to blow up the boat or dismantle it somehow. Or, um, or I, I just- suppose you could blow up the boat, um, which I, I'm in favor of that too. That sounds easier and less <laughs> expensive than draining the um boat and then what and then what we lift it up out of the thing 
I don't think that's, I think, yeah, your idea is better. I think Joe Biden should do an Instagram poll that's like, blow up the boat, yes or no, and that's how we decide. Oh, you know what? This reminds me of my life. Um, uh, <laughs> I, because I've been saying for months, like probably the entire experience of lockdown, because everything is way more annoying than it usually is, which is already like really, it's kind of high, you know? We're already treading water on how annoying everything is all the time, just in terms of daily existence. But now it's even more annoying because everything is so frustrating and we don't have the, the, the normal kind of avenues uh, for letting off steam or hanging out or just enjoying ourselves. But anyway, I was in my life recently just driving around town or whatever, I, I fantasize about having a rocket launcher attached to the top of my car. And so if there's ever traffic or some, um, it's always like an 18 wheeler that's in my way. And like in, 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 18 wheelers are constantly having Suez Canal scenarios in Brooklyn where they can't make the turn or they, they, they're, they're gonna spend 30 minutes making the turn. And I'm just sitting there in my Volkswagen GTI just being like, get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> and so um, rather than draining Brooklyn, which is um, dry land, so that's not even gonna work, but we could just blow up all of these trucks that are in my way um, if, if um, rocket launchers were like standard on you know, passenger vehicles. On Volkswagens. Yeah, but I think only on Volkswagens. Yeah, no, yeah, right. And it should be something that, that it, it happens only in America so that we can bring American enterprise and manufacturing back to the States. Yeah, right, which is likely a problem. I don't know, I don't, I don't uh, pay too much attention to uh, who is or is not like building rocket launchers. I don't, it, it could be, we could bring it in from overseas or we could do it locally in the US, you know. Would you go to space? In order to do what? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, we ask every guest this, mm. you know, like. When the time comes, will you get When the time board? comes, I mean, are you gonna go? God, yeah, that is a good question. I think if somebody were offering it to me, I think I would probably just have to say yes. Um, cause most things that are offered to me, I don't spend a whole lot of time. Yeah. I think I would say, yes, I would go to space. I would like to see what that looks like and just know how your body feels when you're in space. Yeah. I would go. I would like, yeah, that would be that. I think that would be interesting to look at the planet from a different, uh, like a wildly different point of view. You're the first corporate lunch guest who's ever said he wanted to go to space. So congratulations. Oh, you're kidding me. No, we don't actually ask people that, but I'm just putting an end to the bit because we need to intro the episode. Yeah, we have to uh, introduce artist Sam McInnes, featured in uh, the new issue of GQ in a profile written by Rachel. Lovely story. Edited by Noah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's a huge honor. Thank you. And uh, it's totally humbling. And Rachel, the feeling is mutual. Um, so Thanks. it was very fun talking to you. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to be on the menu today at 
corporate launch. Yeah, the only higher honor than being featured in the pages of GQ magazine is to be a guest on Corporate Lunch, um, GQ's official podcast about clothes and global logistics strategies and things like that. Um, <laughs> is the is wait, what's the name of the cargo ship that's stuck in the Suez Canal? Sorry, I'm not going to let this go. It's the Evergreen or the Evenflow? No, or the... it's no, no, no. It's the Ever Given. The I Ever. Think Given. Ever Ever given, Evergreen is the cargo magnate or the shipping company or whatever they are. And I think they're coming from Japan, I think. I could be wrong, but. This sort of scenario, uh, this ship, some, the type of thing you might paint? Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, maritime art is like kind of a evergreen <laughs> genre for <laughs> painting, I would say. Um, so if somebody gets a good shot, um, I'm liable to make, to, uh, uh, yeah, immortalize this issue in, in oil on canvas. It could happen. Sam, how's your, how's your last year been? I know, um, Rachel mentioned this in her piece, but, um, you tweeted at one point during, you know, the lockdown, whatever, um, after Billie Eilish, uh, you know tweeted something about about finishing one song you said you know big deal i've done like 30 paintings um it sounds like it's been a pretty productive time for you but um you know what's what's been going on like have you found it like quite um obviously uh you know uh driving around and running into trucks aside um has the covid era been like creatively you know positive and productive for you or has it been sort of annoying and um soul deadening like it has been for the rest of us oh i think it's i think it's um all of the above i got lucky at the beginning of 2020 in uh at least a couple different ways in that um i had a solo show on the calendar that was that was going to open around valentine's day last year and it did open I think like two days after Valentine's Day 2020. And um, that was the show that I made called Jonathan Taylor Thomas at the JTT Gallery downtown. And that was a new gallery relationship for me. Um, and we got that in and on the wall and opened and celebrated and sold like right before everything stopped. So I, God, I don't know. That's just, that's just straight up luck. That is just lucky um, scheduling. So from that, or right around that same time, discussions over the phone or over email and, uh, and with my other gallery in Europe, Almin Resch with um, Mr. Ovitz and Beverly Hills, those, those, discussions were moving along um, at the end of 2019, entering into 2020. And then um, around the same time that I opened the JTT show, I was invited for lunch at um, Michael's house in Beverly Hills to um, see if I liked the space and to see if I would um, accept a commission to make a show for his uh, home gallery. And so like those two things, both of those things happened like right before New York, like totally fucking just went to hell. And, well, not just New York, the rest of the, the entire 
planet, you know, just stopped working. And, but I had number one secured, um, I had already gotten a show up and on the wall and seen and out there um, already in 2020. So that's, that's great luck. And then I had already secured like my next project, which would open whenever it was done. And then of course we didn't know that it would, I would finish it and then we would just be stalled, stalled, stalled while everybody figures out how to interact with one another in a safe way. So soul deadening, yes. Annoying, yes. Depressing, yes. Um, But at the same time, like I could just pour all of my energy into going to work every day and rather than miss my social life, uh, which of course I did and still do to some extent very much. And um, rather than just like kind of mope around, I just, I just worked all the time. That's all I did. All I did was work. I don't think it's a bad thing for me to say that uh, during that time, I made some of the best work that I've ever made. I, I and, um, Cause I was so, there was nothing else to focus on. There was no distraction. There was nobody else to pay attention to. There was nothing much to do except like, I had a little social pod bubble, right? So I saw a handful of people throughout last year. Um, and we all, and we became close, closer probably. Um, but other than that, yeah, like all I was doing, like I, I mean, I'm, in my apartment right now in Greenpoint and then my studio is in Williamsburg and I would just be back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. every day. That's all you would do. Eat takeout, watch bad TV, read some books. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to Billie Eilish. I, I'm sure the song that she made is a banger. I'm sure it's going to just rock the pop music landscape. But um, that tweet is funny because it sounds kind of resentful. But yeah, I became kind of, I became a total workaholic. I was, I was already tending towards workahol, like workaholism. I was already trending in that direction. But then with, um, with everything else taken away, like I just leaned really hard into, I just, I, I, first of all, I like had this great venue that wanted to mount a show. And then secondly, there's nothing else to do. So why not just be the, why not just like make the most impressive, most like delightful, most like damaged looking, like threatening kind of beautiful, very sexy, um, make the best art that that you could because- What's the, what's the source of your workaholism? Like, um, are you just self-motivated in that you don't, like the feeling of like the feeling of working is better than the feeling of procrastinating. So it's always that, or do you just, is it just always like about getting back to the painting or starting the new painting and you just obsess until it's finished and then on to the next, like I could see the career as a, a painter and being sort of self-employed for me, I would wake up in the morning and think, huh, should I go to the studio? Eh, maybe I'll go like drink coffee for a few hours and then take a nap and then, well, I'm lazy and I procrastinate. And so I'm fascinated by workaholics. What's the, what's the motivation for you? It could just be, it could be better. 
it could always be better. And, um, and also uh, fear, fear is the motivator. Um, fear that you're not as good as you think you are and, and you're not as good as other people are saying you are. And also um, it's, it's also just, a, it's just, a, it's a really amusing question. The, the question itself is amusing. Like, what if I improved? <laughs> you know, like, what if this just became slightly more interesting? Or what if, what if I were just a, a slightly more ravishing painter? Like, what, what, what could possibly go right, you know? And um, that's motivating. But then also, you know, one of my friends who I've, who's also a neighbor, Dan Allegretto, like I'll text him on a group chat or, or I'll text him. He's on a group chat with people. And then I was texting paintings, 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 like one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And recently he asked me like, like, how do you do it, gay man? And then I was like, I don't know. I just have a problem. I just have a problem. You know, I just, it's, I'm trying to work something out and it's helpful to be alone while I'm doing that. And oil paint is also like a really demanding material that requires attention and it requires uh, a, a somewhat limited amount of time. Because once you start something, it's only wet for so long. So you can only really work with it while it's uh, pliable or movable, you know, and then Wait, so you fin you're finishing paintings relatively quickly in terms of start to, to kind of finished? Is it, doesn't take you a year to finish a painting? No, God, no. Um, it, lately I've had, uh, let's say I've had on the wall like three or four going at a time and in, in, in the various states of finish and then so I think typically now it will take anywhere from three or four days to three or four weeks to like finish, to like to take a painting from start to finish. Um, and that way, if there's several things on the wall, I can move from one thing to the other thing and kind of plan out my week or my month according to like when I'm gonna have to pay attention to one thing versus another thing, you know? Does it take you longer to paint a really big painting or mm -hmm. a really small painting? The big one, some of the big ones take a lot longer, but it was just, I've only got this tiny little body, you know? So, and you have to climb up and down the step ladder to get to the top of the thing. And then I have to get on the floor, like on my knees, to, like paint the bottom. And that's exhausting. But the ends, and there's just more detail included in on like a larger piece of real estate. Um, I, art dealers say that like the wall real estate, but it, it's true. Like you have to like, you kind of have to, there's just a greater, like a larger surface area requires like more attention and thus more time. So it's just, yeah. But, but I enjoy the challenge of that. And I like um, the small paintings are special, I think to the viewers as well as to me. And they do seem really collect collectible in a way that I, that I like and also more human scale and um, and they just seem more possessable, more like uh, they are, they are easy, more easy, more easily possessed. And I think that helps um, 
encourage the like a, a viewer or a collector to become attached to it. Um, so there's it's just a different kind of investment I, on on uh, from one scale to the versus mm -hmm. the other. The smaller ones are easier to steal too. Yeah, they're easier to yeah totally. Yeah, would you like to be? I mean, there's a lot of fascination around art theft. It would, I imagine, as a painter, it could be assuming they're not taking money out of your pocket, but like pretty cool to be the subject of like some large, like elaborate and high profile like art theft. That would be like pretty sick, I would think. Do you ever think about yeah, that? Yeah, right. Um, I would be mortified, obviously, in public, but privately, I would be um, thrilled titillated i would yeah flattered um glamorous it is yeah sure yeah crime committed on on you know inspiring crime is kind of a romantic notion i have a question for Noah and rachel actually which is about the the profile um in this issue in this uh this month's gq which is why um did you choose Rachel to write it as a love letter to Sam? Besides the obvious, which is that, you know, he's, he's very worthy of such treatment, but um, it's a very un, un, unorthodox, you know, sort of style of the magazine piece. And I don't think we've actually ever talked about um, why, how it sort of, you know, ended up coming out that way. Um, but I'd love to know. Well, I initially was trying to write it like a normal, story <laughs> and um I was really having trouble with that because you know there's this piece that um Sam's friend the writer Gary Indiana wrote about Sam a few years ago and in the beginning he talks about how like well he sort of throws his hands up and says well Sam should really be writing this piece because no one is as good at explaining Sam and his work as Sam which is really rare you know a lot of times not just visual artists, but artists in general are not great at explaining their work. And Sam is uniquely good at it. Um, first, I was actually trying to write it as like a satire of like a sexy, sexist magazine piece from like 2004, where like an, a gross man is like profiling Lindsay Lohan. Um, <laughs> and, and that wasn't, that was like, that was funny, but it wasn't like quite working. And in fact, I was, I was talking to Alyssa Bennett, who's also a friend of Sam's and was um, his, his gallerist at, at team. Um, and so we were kind of like batting around ideas and she was like, well, you should just write it like a deranged fan letter. And the thing that's so great about Alyssa is like, the thing that would take me like three months to think of is like Alyssa's just like, oh, and by the way, like, here's a great idea. Talk to you later. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's like how it came about. And then I tried writing it that way. And I wrote it, I wrote the first draft in like an hour it was like, <laughs> so easy to, it was actually really easy. It was really strange, first of all, to like read all of these fan letters that people have written to people in prison. I read a lot of like letters that people have written to Charles Manson <laughs> and oh, letters wow. that people, people have written to like, you know, um, uh, Burt Reynolds was another one there where there are like sexy fan letters. Um, and I just kind of ran with that. 
So that's the story of how it came about. And I sent it to Noah right. and I oh. was like, maybe this is like not going to work and I can write it in a normal way, but let's just see. What did I say? I think you said, um, I think it's really working. We'll send it to Jeff, our executive editor, but it may just be too crazy. And then Jeff <laughs> was like, this is really funny. Let's do it. Well, magazines, especially GQ, I mean, there's like a rich history of like experimental formats and styles. We don't do it so much anymore because I think it sort of can feel dated. Um, like if you pick up a GQ from like the early 2000s, I think it's probably full of moves like this, small innov innovative structuring of things and whatnot. And, um, but it was, you know, like as an editor, when you get something that just feels like creative and original, you want to like at least give it a shot. And then um, the question is just like, does the form fit the function? And in this case it did perfectly, right? It was like, this wasn't just written as a first person love letter to Sam McInnes because Rachel just chose that because she didn't feel like doing something else. It was written that way because Sam's work, some of the themes of, Sam's work, or at least the way Rachel was discussing it, have to do with fandom and a sort of adoration and certain obsessiveness and particularly directed at celebrities. Um, so it was in form, it was the right thing for the subject. And that was ultimately mm -hmm. why it worked. You know, it wasn't just because, yeah, Rachel had a cool idea. Well, um, and one of the things that's so interesting about Sam's work. Now it's like we're talking about Sam and it's like he's not even here. <laughs> um, one of the things that I just think is so great about Sam's work is that, you know, even though there's been this kind of intermingling of the art and fashion worlds and art is merging more with popular culture in the way that fashion has over the past decade or two, there's still this sense of like when you're looking at art or you go into a museum or, or, you know, you go into a gallery that you're sort of like, hmm, like you're supposed to be a little pretentious and sort of ponderous. Um, and it can be really difficult to, I think as like, if you, if you don't look at a lot of art, it can be really difficult to just allow yourself to have an emotional reaction. Um, and I think, part of what's so cool about Sam's work is that it encourages that element of looking at art, which is this like very emotional, almost like inexplicable attachment to um, an image that that has been a part of art since like, you know, people were drawing in caves. Cause I know I was there when people were drawing in caves. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. people were drawing those oxen, yeah, they were great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were great. No, that's interesting to listen to. I I like that. No, I'm I was deeply touched by the form that that your writing took and then I was also taken aback. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my." <laughs> you know, blushing. Um and then uh but then, you know, I also appreciated the kind of meta objects or you know formally where you were using the form to show not only tell that like uh 
like part of the part of my engagement artistically is having to do with um like feelings you can't necessarily control like feeling like affect affection that you can't uh, affection or desire or just like a, or a certain like very strong fondness that you can't necessarily control and and there are certain cultural objects or images or memories that elicit this kind of strong uh, person, very personal reaction, which I think in polite society would often be taboo or frowned upon or best left at home, you know? Um, yeah, basically I'm touched. Do you want to talk about some of the paintings you're working on now? Like I'm, I'm curious, what are the four or three or whatever that are up on your wall? Do you ever, uh, Oh yeah. Well, I, after, yeah, after we do this podcast, I got to go back to work. Um, because I've got another the Ovid show I finished in like late September and that shipped in October and we're going to hang it uh, any day now. We'll be, we'll, I'll, we'll just hang it and I can't wait for that. But I've also got this other show that's going to go up on the wall in London at Almin Resch on, that will open on April 15th. And I've got to finish that. And that's a show called, uh, well, the, the Ovid show is called Costume Drama. And we're building, a, we're building out a whole website for it that will be kind of like a deluxe um, and not, and like a non-lame online viewing room um, just so that most people on the planet can access the work and view it and understand a little bit more about my process and my thinking in my studio hopefully they'll understand that a little bit more after visiting the website if if given uh present conditions they cannot make it to los angeles to look at the work in person um but then on my wall right now i've got to finish this show for london that show is called country western and i decided to make a genre show that tried to celebrate or just revel inside of like a world that is very American, but, but it's like one of the best American exports, you know, and one of the best like uh, American aesthetic forms, but also like a total world around it is, you know, we're talking about like Nashville country music, like um, the business, the music business. So I, that, the show's called Country Western. On the wall right now, I'm doing um, a skyline of Nashville at night. And that's a petite little painting. It's, it's rather small. And so it's very detail-oriented. I had, I, uh, I've got all these tiny little brushes. I'm trying to just like dot, like put on all the little glittering lights of Nashville at night. And um, also on the wall is a painting of Dolly Parton. There's two paintings of Dolly Parton in this show. And there's also a rather large landscape um, of, a, of a view of uh, Montana from Glacier National Park, just to sort of like, just to sort of get us out west, you know, into the wilderness. And then, uh, and then also on the wall, I just finished a full, a full, body full-length life-size portrait of uh elvira 
Mistress of the Dark, who I don't think is a country musician. However, <laughs> she seems to me to like have similar, like have, have, she has the same hair <laughs> as mm -hmm. a lot of like country music divas have had perhaps. Um, and that's been, that the Elvira painting is pure fun just because it's, she's so sexy. It's so, the vamp look is so over the top and ludicrous. And the, the sex of it is just so completely piled on and wonderful and pleasurable. And I hope that, uh, I hope people, yeah, I mean, I hope people look at it and just feel kind of turned on by it or Randy for it. And just, it's, it's show business. It's more show business. Um, the, a, uh, a, a collector friend of mine did come over like a week or two ago to see the the group of work and he's a really he's a sweet guy and he was like sam this is so hollywood this is so hollywood which is which was in a way disappointing to me because i thought i was making like a roots show i thought it was like making like an americana art show and then with like uh, with like an alpine landscape in montana and then uh a view of Nashville at night. And then um, there's a picture of like Lyle Lovett, you know, and then, but he was like, he still has the same reaction, which is like, this is so Hollywood. This is so glitz and glamor and it's exciting. It's happy. This is, it's making me smile. So I, I mean, I was touched, but I was surprised because what I thought I was doing was something completely different. What did you do to research this show? Like what, movies did you watch or images did you look for or music that you listened to? Right. Um, well, uh, I kind of got the idea because, did you notice this last year? Maybe it's because she invented the vaccine, but like Dolly Parton was like, in, she was in the news once a week, like all, the, mm -hmm. like for an entire year. And it every yeah. year is not, even though she is, supremely famous and like um an, a, a mega successful entertainer um she's not it's not every year that she's in the news all the time but this year it was like one she had a good year i think media like pr wise i don't and I, it's probably because she invented the co the coronavirus vaccine um in nashville she's out in nashville like just like in the kitchen like making vaccine. um <laughs> But uh, so there were just a, suddenly a lot of pictures of her um, being floated around the internet that were in front of me. And then also one thing that I would do on the rare day that I wasn't working was I would just get in the car and drive around on country roads like upstate or in Connecticut. Um, or I went out to Montauk one time and just being in the car and not being in the city was like pleasant. And um, I started thinking about country landscapes um, just as like, just to calm down, just to get out of um, the really high pressure, really depressive zone of, of um, uh, uh, metropolitan life. But in terms of media, like, one thing, the best thing that I saw probably to research this show was to watch the Ken Burns epic country music, which is like eight or 10 hours long. And 
nothing if not thorough. You know, he this like he's just like a genius for research and archival material and just putting it together in order to tell a, like a vast history of um, one like one aspect of American life that then goes on to touch like every other single facet of um, the history of men and women living in this country. So that was probably the best piece of media that, that I that I took in to try and understand the genre. And that of course led to um, deep dives into Spotify just to find out exactly who everybody that he's profiling or um, highlighting in the history of country music just to find out what their product was, just to find out what their output was, find out what their voice sounds like. Um, and then using Google, of course, to see what they look like, what they were wearing and, and um, how they, uh, what their comportment was or what their presentation was like. Was the collector who came to your studio and called it Hollywood by chance, Mark Jacobs? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mark Jacobs is holed up in Rye, New York. Um, I don't, or he's at that hotel downtown. Uh, no, he doesn't. I love him. I would love to, I want him to come over, but he did just vaccinated, Mark did. He did? Yeah, he posted a great fit pic of uh, his second dose from his yeah, second dose. Yeah, good for him. I'm happy, I'm happy about that. Uh, he's a national treasure and we must protect Mark Jacobs. You went to his wedding. I did, yeah. The wedding of um, the century. It was the gay wedding of the century. It was the best. I'm sorry, it was the best. <laughs> um, um, I... I was first of all shocked and delighted to be invited. And then I was like, oh, what am I going to wear? <laughs> what did you wear? Um, I bought a Comme de Garcon. I bought a suit. Um, I bought, um, do you know these guys in Williamsburg on Grand Street? These nice Japanese people that have a um, vintage store called About Glamour. Do you know where that is? Yeah. They're the best. They have the and best stuff. Yeah. Well, so I went in there and I bought a comb suit and a and a comb shirt and um uh and that's what I wore. And then I went and then I walked down the street to like Paul Smith and bought a new tie. And the tie had hearts on it. And the wedding was awesome. Did you uh, I don't know if you want to share this, but what did you get Mark as a wedding gift? No, he said no gifts. So that was stipulated in the invitation, no gifts. But I, so I left a, I left a card. I just left him a card and said, congratulations. I'm very happy for you. I wish you every happiness in this world. And I am delighted to have been here to celebrate. I think that's what, I, that's probably what I would have written. I think I wrote that. <laughs> that's nice that all that language, anyone should transcribe that and use that anytime you need to write someone a card. You just sort of wrote like a template. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you just get a copy of Emily Post. She'll tell you what to do about any okay, any number of situations you might find yourself in. She usually knows what to do. And where do you get most of your clothes? Um, you have very, very good natural prep style um, is how I would describe it. And you always look very comfortable in your clothing, um, which is which can be a rare sight these days. Um, where do you where do you tend to shop? Or do you Rachel might have mentioned once that you get clothes made somewhere. 
Not as a habit. Um, I do sometimes go to a tailor uh, somewhere in Williamsburg, but I I don't get things made, but I do. Um, the last two times I bought a suit, I went to Brooklyn Tailors and they're great. They're really great. Um, and mostly just because for, I just fit the sample size. So um, uh, my body type is like uh, less to love, you know? And so like if I can just walk in and, and to Brooklyn Tailors and they have like this stupid skinny suit and I don't have to like take it in or whatever, I, I'll just buy two of them. And then, um, but in general, I'm usually doing something else. I'm usually not shopping. So like, yeah, I love going to About Glamour and I, because they always have really fascinating clothes that they're reselling on consignment. Um, and they even have, they have, they have really great Japanese clothes. They have tons of Versace and um, Vivian Westwood. And then they also, they also find and resell a lot of Christopher Nemeth, which is really fascinating. Um, and you never quite know when to wear Christopher Nemeth, but like I'm, I always just want to have it because just like a fascinating uh, designer. But then um, I don't know. A lot of stuff I feel like I've just had it for because I needed a shirt or something. This morning I woke up. Uh, it, I had it was really like I had the really pleasant surprise. Like I, I'm. I, I, I haven't, I was given an invitation to go to a museum opening for the first time in over a year. So then I, um, I'm trying to, I, I went online to like the Pringles of Scotland website to see <laughs> if it was on sale. Cause I, I, that for some reason like popped into mind, like maybe Pringles is cool. And maybe I like their polo shirts and the cashmere obviously and then I was thinking like maybe I'll just go on there and see if there's something I would wear to the Metropolitan Museum at you know under a suit um but I don't know I just uh I think I I have I fall into that now I fall into that kind of like disgusting category of like uh people who grew up in New England where like I don't remember where I got these clothes I just have these clothes you know like I don't I, I, I know that I bought clothes recently, but I don't remember where they came from. I, as far as I know, I've always had them, <laughs> which is obviously not true. Wardrobe by birthright. Yeah, it's disgusting. Wait, so what's gonna be the, like when we emerge from this, do you see yourself like wearing a suit? Do you think about like, cause now that we've all been like uh, limited in our social interactions, we have an opportunity to like, Reemerge. What is it called? A chrysalis? What does a butterfly do? Or a, is that the right thing? You emerge from the yeah. chrysalis. Yeah, we're going to sort of emerge and we can have a whole new image. Like I've got a cool ponytail now. I didn't have that before. So there's all kinds of ways uh-huh. you can um, reinvent now. Rare opportunity. Sounds like you're going to be wearing suits. Maybe that's not new, but I don't know. You could do something. Well, yeah, with- I- yeah, suits. I think are suits are going to be huge. I think probably because um, there was such like a ugh, there was like trickle down Mark Zuckerberg where everybody was just like, no, I'm a billionaire and I wear sweats, and that was just trickling down to everything for 
almost 10 years probably and it was filthy but it, it entered every aspect of socializing and now I think people do want they want to honor their bodies I think they want to honor their frame they want to honor um, one another they want to honor sociability one way of doing that is to decorate or drape the body with something uh, exquisite and so I do think we'll be we'll be treating ourselves to wearing suits to occasions where maybe in the past we would have felt like, well, uh, a sweatshirt will suffice because I'm not a snob. I'm not, um, I'm with the people here, <laughs> but it just, we're not, we have, you're, we haven't been with the people for like a year. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we've been by ourselves and it's, it's horseshit, you know? So, um, I think it's time to honor one another by uh, decorating our body and draping ourselves with um, fine fabrics. Have you made your Balthazar reservation yet? Oh God, no, no, but I, no, but, uh, oh, I don't know if I should say this, but I did just make a vaccine reservation. I figured that out finally. Somehow I, somehow I figured out the system. Sam, not that you've been, um, you know, most people have been to some restaurants, but is there a restaurant you haven't been to that you love that you're like? Oh, yeah, I miss. Uh, one thing I did do. Um, a friend and I took like a one night vacation in town where we rented a room at the Carlisle and just slept at the Carlisle, which was incredibly relaxing like incredibly relaxing i couldn't believe um how that paid off but while i was there i was sad that bemelman's wasn't open and then so um i'm looking forward to the return of bemelman's i guess you have like a pandemic like rotation of like i feel like i've like i used to go to like all kinds of restaurants and now i only go to five restaurants like i like to me only five restaurants exist in new york like do you have a similar like um rotation that you've been that you've been hitting right. restaurant bubble uh yeah. i live only a few blocks away from five leaves and sam i ran into you once over the summer at uh five leaves and uh so i find myself there a lot if i'm gonna have like uh if i want to see somebody because uh, they're they've uh they've been pretty consistent for quality and outdoor dining it's been okay and, and it's close to home so i've been going there a lot if I want to eat out, but to tell you the truth, uh, yeah, I've been cooking more for myself and, and, or for like a friend or two, or, and then uh, King's Imperial County Chinese food. I, they, I order from there a lot. They're also, I'm in the delivery radius. So they come over a lot. And Bauhaus, there's a place called Bauhaus, which is also close to, to where I live. And I feel like I'm getting their curry after a long day fairly often. But for the outdoor dining, I don't, I still haven't, I haven't even gone to Odeon yet. I went once last spring and ate it uh, at Battery Park, but then uh, I haven't even been down there to eat yet. And I think from what I understand, it's thriving again. Oh, it's, it's just absolutely pumping. Yeah. Once they got their fryer later fixed, 
for a while they were out of French fries. Well, that's not going to work. Yeah, that was really. Yeah. Oh, you know what else? I went to. I've been a few times to that new place, uh, Doctor Clark, which is fun. There's always somebody there that you haven't seen in months, and uh, I like the. It's it's nice to be there. Oh, we should have asked him about. Wait, sorry. One more really boring thing to ask. But do you make smoothies at home? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Um, no. Oh. No, I walk, if I need a smoothie, I'll walk down the street to Brooklyn Standard, oh, yeah. um, which is truly not bad. In fact, it's you, good. What do you get? What are your ingredients? Um, well, the last few times I've gone, I've been in somewhat of a hurry. So I just get like uh, the turmeric shot, which is like, uh, you know, it's a shot of lemon juice with like a ton of turmeric in, in it so just been getting that but uh uh if i'm going to, if i'm gonna uh go through the trouble of having them make a smoothie it's uh like blueberry and spinach and you know something something like that would you drink a smoothie with frozen cauliflower as a base i've never heard of such a thing um that exists is that something that's something that people are doing yeah some real sickos are doing it i wish i wish i wish them the best um <laughs> it sounds great <laughs> all right we should turn our attention back to the situation of the suez canal yeah. and get back to the studio and whatever the fuck else we do this has been episode 126 of corporate lunch with the wonderful and elegant artist sam mckinnis thank you for joining us it's sam. been a pleasure yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I've loved this. Yeah. Right. Bye, guys. Bye.